what advice would you give somebody who's, you know, just starting out right now? What I did is hop on LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. go to meetups like Brian's, meet people. Uh, it's a really supportive community. Um, and I think that's a really good undergird to mm-hmm. kind of like starting your journey. Um, and then the second half of that, I would say maybe action is a bit of a buzzword. Maybe that's a little bit of a cliche at this point. Uh, but I truthfully think maybe another way to phrase that is like this stuff is not as scary as it seems. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. We've got one of our former aspiring investors uh, who's coming back now as a first deal episode. Um, Although after talking with him for the last couple of minutes, he could very easily come on as an experienced investor as well. So um, Van Hagee, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's fun to be back after I've kind of gone rogue uh, for the yeah. last year, but I think we have a lot to talk about. So. Well, I, I think you got went rogue because you were super busy, you know, buying apartments, you know, so, and that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. But, uh, um, you know, one, one thing that uh, I remember when we talked last, um, and it, it's, it's probably been over a year, year, year and change now. Um, you know, I remember, you know, a lot of, a lot of goodness coming out of it. You were, you're super motivated. You're also very young, which is something I, I definitely want to talk about. Um, and since I just mentioned that, let's, let's bring that up first. How old are you? Yeah, I'm exactly, I turned 20 something next month. No, I'm kidding. 20 something. Yep. Yeah, 20 no, something. I, I turned 23 in a month and a half. Awesome. Awesome. So proof positive, you know, I think, I think a lot of people who are, who are your age, um, look at their age as a, um, a reason not to do it. You know, who's, who's going to believe in me? Who's going to invest with me? Who's going to, you know, but uh, there, there are a lot of people who are early twenties who are absolutely crushing it. Um, you're one of them. So excited to, to get into to a lot of the details. So um, that said, give us an idea of your background and uh, you know, tell us uh, where you're from, what you've been doing and uh, what got you into real estate. Yeah. So um, I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. So, of course, when I say that, most people into real estate instantly have a gut reaction. Uh, growing up, I just thought I'm some hick from like some little town 30 minutes west of some city called Austin. Yep. So growing up, uh, really was in a pretty, pretty quiet, lazy country town, I would say. Um, and then as I grew up, I had a very normal, awesome childhood, no complaints. Uh, we definitely weren't rich, but we weren't poor. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I never really had any perspective on money. I just thought, you know, some of my friends have boats. We don't. Not a big deal. I like yep. the woods more anyway and whatever. So so it sounds, like, sounds like basic middle class. Basic middle class. No complaints. Yep. Life's great. Um, and then I got into high school and started to kind of develop sentience to some degree. And people start to think about college and careers and um, I've always been entrepreneurial in the sense of like 
selling, you know, lollipops or trading cards or whatever it might be. Yeah. Never with the intent to make money or get rich. It's just, I always, as soon as there's any kind of opportunity to like arbitrage something, mm-hmm. um, I'm interested in it and I like gaming systems. And so, uh, and a, another thing to note is I have super bad ADD or super good, however you want to look at it. So I sucked yeah. at school growing up. Um, I had plenty of aptitude. I, I love like math and physics and stuff growing up. So I ended up studying engineering, but I've just always sucked at school. Mm-hmm. Never liked it. Uh, I'm not going to try to like tout the Gary V mentality or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just truthfully wanted to be good at school and was not. Yeah. Uh, and then ended yeah, up I doing mean, schools. Schools are designed so that the kids with ADD actually do terrible, you know, is kind yeah. of how it is. It's nothing, nothing bad with ADD. I, I think uh, my wife tells me I've got ADD. I don't know. Maybe I do, but uh, yeah, the, the schools are designed that the people who really, who really have ADD are going to struggle. So, yeah. you know, never doesn't mean anything's bad, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, maybe that's a real, real quick aside for anyone thinking about that or who has ADD um, as I've learned. And as like, I've my career's, expanded as we'll talk about in a little bit i've learned that add is literally a chemical imbalance of like your threshold to pain (laughs) so literally someone with add it's not that you can't focus or whatever i because i i always thought that the focus thing didn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. because i was like sometimes i hyper focus on things like when i play call of duty i was playing 18 hours a day i didn't look up until Mm -hmm. i was you know master like literally i would I would hyper-focus on things to the point of absolute destruction. Mm-hmm. And so ADD is more of a uh, a disposition to just not like doing things that you don't like. Yeah. So some people can deal with pain a little bit more, which I could think that could be a good or a bad thing. Um, so I just thought that was funny that I, yeah. it's, as, as I've learned, it's literally, sometimes I hyper-focus on things. It's just my threshold for how much I can withstand, like not liking something is a lot lower. Yeah. Uh, Which, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things may not actually be a bad thing, you know, yeah. um, you, you just don't, I don't do the things I don't like to do, you know, and, and right. I, I think a lot of people could learn from that, you know, not doing yeah. the things you don't like to do and um, end up being happier, you know, so. Yeah. And life's complex because no, that's not a good fitness mentality, but, you know, career life-wise, like, you know, discipline and yeah. And doing things you like or not uh, mutually exclusive. But yeah. anyway, I mean, I don't like like mowing our, my lawn and <laughs> hence I pay someone else to do it. And I'm a lot happier, you know, but, uh, yeah. you know, may, maybe I'm, I'm just, you know, conjecturing. Maybe the, the ADD guy will, would have, you know, outsourced mowing the lawn 20 years before I did. I think I was 40 before I started paying somebody to mow the lawn. And right. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's a stupid, simple example, but uh, um yeah, I just kept on mowing the lawn because I didn't want to pay somebody 20 bucks to do it. That's that's yeah. how much I didn't hate it. So anyway, right. dumb example, but well, anyway, I'm, I'm giving the long-winded typical story of like didn't like school, yep. somehow ended up doing well on my uh like SAT, and then I got into UT Austin, which is my dream school, studied engineering, and then as soon as I got there, nothing changed. I still sucked at school. Yep. I was like, I hate this. And so I ended up getting an internship where I would take a year off school. Go work full time as an engineer, mm-hmm. full time pay, full time schedule. I actually moved to Dallas, which is four hours north. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got there, and I thought, "Wow!" For the first time in my life, no homework, no anything. And then I'd wake up at six, go to work, you know, get off at five, mm-hmm. um, go to the gym, get home, like do some dishes, and go to bed. And I would do that every day for five days. Mm-hmm. And I remember within like two weeks calling my mom 
freaking out being like, I cannot do this. This is the worst thing ever. Um, and so then I started that bug started churning again and I started trading stocks, options, drop shipping, mm-hmm. all sorts of weird stuff, lost so much money, probably all of it. And then eventually I got into real estate and it made a lot more sense to me and it's, mm-hmm. it felt a lot safer and it made a lot more sense. And so my plan was, Oh, I'm going to get a, as soon as I get back to school, I'm going to buy a duplex, rent it out to my buddies and like grow a portfolio that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I think that's a good strategy. I yeah, just, I do too. Yeah. As soon as I got back to school, um, I, I kept diving deeper and it just, it felt off and I just kept digging. And eventually I actually met my now business partner, Kyle, and he was intro- he was getting introduced to the field of syndication and like raising money and taking a smaller piece of the pie, bigger deals. And I thought, okay, that's very interesting. Uh, or essentially the, the idea of like raising money or private equity or just like deal structure. Yeah. And so that was an intoxicating idea. And then from there, I just decided, okay, this world is so big and I feel like I've seen such a small piece of it and this is what my life's going to be. And so I kind of completely tabled the whole like typical career idea. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use a job. Like I, I kind of felt like I had an opportunity to skip that as a whole. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you know, I feel like we'll talk about the aspiring investor podcast that I was on. Um, yeah. But I remember saying probably the exact same things I just said, and now I'm kind of on the other side of it. Yeah, uh, which and then really that's cool. that's almost exactly where you were when you came on the podcast. It's like you know, here's here's where I am, here's what I want to do, and like I said, it's 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 exciting and fun for me to see on the you know year and a half later where you've done exactly what you said you were going to do, you know, which is which is great. But so so that's about the point you were when you hopped on the podcast. Let, let's talk about the last podcast episode. We, we matched you up with uh, Maurice Philogene, who is a, a man I have tremendous respect for. Uh, let's talk a little about, bit about that episode. You know, what, uh, what did you learn and how are you able to put that into practice? Yeah, so I think... Uh... You know, there, there's two aspects of that podcast that I distinctly remember. Mm-hmm. One is kind of the more abstract side, which is just like learning mentorship type guidance that I got, just experience, talk to people. And then the second half was like a specific question about like deal flow or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first half, uh, I think it was great advice. And I think, like you said, Mo's an awesome dude. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't kept in super close contact with him, but I I've kept in touch a little bit with him. Uh, and just realizing, I, I think his existence was the biggest lesson more than anything he taught me. I was like, wow, this is a good dude. He does good things. Uh, cause that's another illusion I had is that all people in private equity and real estate are just like dudes in suits who are, mm-hmm. you know, screwing people over all the time. And I thought, wow, this is a good dude. And he does yeah. good work. And if, uh, if I remember right, didn't he call in from Beirut? He, that was right. That was the morning after the Beirut explosion. Yeah. And I think- the- the factory explosion, which was probably a bomb set off by somebody. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about how good of a person he was. You know, most people, you know, sat in their homes and thought, oh, wow, that's terrible. He got on a plane, flew to Beirut. And I, I remember he uh, he emailed me. He's like, hey, I'm going to try to log in for the podcast because I still want to do that. But I'm in Beirut, so it might not be the best connection. But uh, yeah, anyway, amazing guy. Like I said, tremendous yeah. respect for him. And um, you know, he, he's a person that's talked a lot about mentors and had a lot of mentors himself and has turned into being a mentor for a lot of people as well. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Good times. Yeah. No, I think he, uh, like I said, just him existing was a, a cool lesson because, you know, I got some of the the insight as far as 
reach out to these people. You have a support support system. People who want to help you, uh, like lean on those people. Understand that there are good people in this business. Just surround yourself with the right people. Um, it's it's really as simple as I knew that the action piece was there. I think I was, you know, hopefully still am like scrappy and a hustler and doing all that stuff and realizing that if you just combine the intention with the action, like it's really, it's not rocket science no. stuff happens when you do that. So, and that's, that's, a, that's a good life lesson. You, you, you be intentional and you, you attach your action to your dreams and you, you apply time and effort and amazingly you make things happen. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So after, after that podcast, um, you know, I, so the 42 unit we're going to talk about Austin, Texas, um, that was your first deal, correct? So that was my first deal that I'm going to call my first deal. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. You were involved in another deal as a GP prior to. I was involved in a deal with a very, very uh, minuscule role, um, okay. but it was really cool. And I was really grateful to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, we, we won't get into that deal, but that's the deal that actually made me decide I want to be a lead sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I want to be- do this whole thing. Being a lead sponsor, it's, I mean, you got a lot of the responsibility, mm-hmm. but you got control too. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. when you come in as a co-GP, whether it's, you know, uh, whether raising capital is your game or you're coming in doing due diligence or whatever, you know, when you're a co-GP, you yield a lot of the control. Up, mm-hmm. you know? And as the lead sponsor, it's it's really nice being in control. So, um, so yeah, let, let's, let's start talking about the 42 unit. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a much, much more beneficial than the, you know, the, the smaller GP role. So um, let's talk about, you know, who else was on your team and how that team came together. Yeah. So I think uh, the couple months leading up to that deal, uh, actually getting it under contract, me and my partner, Kyle, uh, who were like best friends in real life, we're brothers. Um, you know, we, we had been going to church together for like eight months before we decided we, we didn't want to be partners because we thought, oh, we don't want money or business to get in the way. And then mm-hmm. eventually we decided, you know, we need to do this. So yeah. there was a, a long runway of us deciding that we wanted to to do this. And so that was my my partner. And then going into it, we also had a, a mentor type guy mm-hmm. uh, who I won't name just in case. No but he uh, he had been kind of guiding us in everything, just like any question we'd have, we text and we call him all the time. Uh, just a really good mentor to have. And yeah, I guess just to get straight into it, um, as we got the deal, because we had lost a couple best in finals, we were doing our best to underwrite to the best of our ability, uh, even as naive as we were. And uh, as soon as we got that deal locked up under contract, that partner mentor backed out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as most people probably know, uh, in a deal, there's almost always earnest money, um, mm-hmm. usually like 1% of the purchase price. So uh, purchase price at 4.7 million, we had $47,000. And I'll just tell you straight up, we did not have $47,000. Yep. Uh, well, one, one of the downsides to the business for people who are younger, you know, younger, younger guys typically don't have, they haven't had the time to start building that, that little nest egg. So between you and Kyle, $47,000 was probably a big deal. It was a huge deal. Uh, it was like bank account clearing level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, we were in a tough position. Uh, and before that, we because we had been kind of raising money, presenting the deal before it was actually under contract to some LPs to see if we could secure some some investments um, just to get that process started. And uh, one of our partners, Joel Fine, who 
Mm-hmm. Is now we've done every single deal with him. Awesome guy. We love you, Joel, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> and we we sat down to get lunch with him like the week before. Never met him before. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, no, deal looks great. I'm in for 100K. I think you got it at a great basis. And we said, okay, cool. And we turned around, left the restaurant, raised 100K, fist bump. And then uh, as soon as our partner backed out those that week later, mm-hmm. we said, we have to come up $47,000 in three days. How in the world are we going to do that? Because uh, we really had, we were siloed with that one mentor. Mm-hmm. So we thought, who's going to sign on this loan and who's going to front this earnest money? And we thought, well, that Joel guy, he was pretty nice. I guess we could talk to him. So we took him to the property. We took him to Cheesecake. Mm-hmm. We got him lunch and we said, could you wire us $47,000 tonight? And he said, okay, sure. Anything else? And we said, well, if you could sign on the loan, that would be great too. And he said, <laughs> Okay, what do you think's fair? And then we talked about GP splits and he said, Okay, sounds good. <laughs> nice. And yeah, just massive blessing from Joel there. Uh, again, like I said, not only to get that deal done, um, but now we have an excellent working relationship with him. We're gonna we've done every four of our deals with him. We're gonna continue doing more deals with him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something that I can't give advice. It's just sometimes you gotta put yourself out there and uh yeah. You yeah. know, and you're in a position, you, you you had at least a good enough relationship with him where you could make the, you could ask the question, you know, and so that that's definitely a lesson learned there. Um, we, we've been in situations where we've promoted LPs to the GP, you know, when, when lenders come back and say, hey, you guys need more liquidity and, or you need more skin in the game, you know, and um, having closed on 10 properties now, and when, when the GP has to put skin in the game on everything, um, you tend to run out of skin to put into the game. And so that, that's, that's one thing that we've done. Um, we've never been in that same position where we needed it like immediately. Can you wire me money tonight? But uh, that's a good way to, to be able to get to the next level. You know, when you, when you have the liquidity requirements, you have the skin in the game requirements is, is to find an LP and just, Hey, you know, can, can you come into the GP on this one as well and help us out with X, Y, or Z and, a lot of people are very willing to do it because I mean, there, there is a little exposure to risk for them, but it's going to boost their returns, you know? So if they believe in you, they believe in the deal, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy step for people to say, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Yeah. And that's a good, you know, you could be van or you could be Joel in that scenario. So if you're coming from a corporate career or something and you have some money and uh, you, you don't want to be fully passive, but you also don't want to be fully active. Yeah. uh, definitely a good, good spot. So. Yeah. Good spot. So glad, glad that worked out for you. So you, you got the, you got the earnest money taken care of. Joel came in clutch. Um, so what's, uh, t- take it, take us from there. How, how did the deal progress? Yeah. So, uh, another funny thing, like the, the month leading up, we were trying to figure out our debt. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's so easy to underwrite debt and then you actually have to go get a loan and we're like, yep. okay, what the heck? Um, uh, so I'm not going to lie. I can't even remember the name of the mortgage broker we used on our first deal. Um, but we hit him up. We said, hey, can you get us a loan? And we were terrified because the property was 89% occupied. Mm-hmm. And based on all the books, you know, and, and the, you have to have 90, right? the paper research we had done, we thought, oh, no, it's not 90% occupied. Mm-hmm. No lender on earth will lend on an apartment in Austin, right? Because it's not 90% yeah. occupied. Uh, and so that, that was just a funny lesson we learned. Opened our eyes to the field of bridge debt. And now we've never done anything but bridge debt. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and we had kind of figured out our loan before the PSA. 
Uh, but going into it, we started that process. And again, that was a weird thing. We had never been on a lender call. We didn't even know what a lender call was. Is it every day? Is it every week? Is it once? Is it whatever? So uh, that was fun too and intimidating uh, to hop on our first lender call mm-hmm. to to kind of show them, hey, we're 22 and 21 and we've never done a deal before. Can you give us 4 million bucks? And uh, luckily they did, but yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, working with a lender was a great experience. That's actually a lender we have a great relationship with now. Um, I'm invested in his weird little Bitcoin fund thing, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, that, that was the next kind of more intimidating part that mm-hmm. really it just got a lot less intimidating once you do it. Cause yeah. it, it's really easy at the beginning of being under contract to say, how do you close a loan? And then you kind of just take a step-by-step and you realize that uh, on top of that, we had to get like the syndication docs written up. We did a very typical mm-hmm. 506B syndication. Uh, and so you, you kind of realize that everyone wants to close. So yeah. especially when you have an experienced partner like Joel, he's, you know, he wants to deal to close. Lender mm-hmm. wants to deal to close. Lawyers want to deal to close. Seller wants to deal to close. And when you realize that there's like a hundred people in this transaction and you're the only one who doesn't fully know what's going on, the, the rising tide kind of lifts everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that was one comforting thing we learned, uh, which we really couldn't have learned any other way than just jumping in. But um, it just get, it gets a lot less scary when you just do it, yeah. I feel like. You know, and when, when you realize that everybody wants to close, you know, it makes things a lot easier. It's not like, you know, you're enemies with anybody or you're fighting against people. Everybody wants the same thing. If you can sit back and just remember that. And oh, by the way, the lender doesn't get paid until you close because they, they take a percentage of, of the, uh, the loan prices, their fee. The broker doesn't get paid till you close, you know, because, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what they, they get paid off as well. But uh, it's, a, it's a very good point. And it, it's something that I didn't realize, you know, the first time through. I remember um, being the, the lead on a team on our first property that we did. And I, exact same thing you said is it was, you learn one thing at a time. You're like, okay, now I'm going to call with the lender. Now I'm going to call, now we're going to call this closing attorney that the state of you know South Carolina requires us to use to close. And, you know, so you, you learn one thing at a time and you learn it by doing it. Yes. I had, I'm not going to lie. I had absolutely no idea what title even meant mm-hmm. when we were under contract on that thing. Cause I've never bought a house. I, frankly, I, the only reason I own my car is because my parents did all the work for me. Yeah. Uh, like I had no idea what title meant. And then they're talking about a settlement statement and you realize that you're the buyer. Like people yeah. present things to you. Um, things are kind of served up to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. If they say, Hey, title needs this. You go, who's title. <laughs> and then you email title and then they get it for you. You know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. And it's, it goes right back to that thing. Everybody wants the same thing, you know, and the title attorney, oh, by the way, doesn't get paid till you close either. So, you know, when, when you're going through your first deal, it's helpful to remember that. And if you don't know what's going on, don't be afraid to ask. All right. And that's, yeah. that's something that, uh, you know, maybe may something that I, it took me too long to, to learn, you know, don't be afraid to ask, you know? So um, anyway, so um a lot, a lot of new experiences for you. Um, what, what do you think was the the biggest challenge you had to overcome getting the deal to the closing line? Yeah, I think uh, outside of that earnest money, which again, it was even though it was only a two day thing, man, those two days sucked. But 
I think the next hardest thing was probably raising the capital. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's always difficult. Yeah. Um, and luckily we had, we had really a four person team, uh, me and Kyle and then Joel and then another partner, Abel. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone was able to kind of tap into their networks to raise money. Everyone was um, able, you just said that. Everyone was able. There was yeah. only one able. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I know Abel. He's been on the podcast too. Good, good guy. But uh, sorry, yeah. sorry for interrupting. I just thought no, yeah, yeah. You, you said that. But uh, no, he's he's awesome. Uh, yeah, we've we've done more deals with Abel. Uh, but like I said, everyone kind of just tapped into their networks. Mm-hmm. Same thing when you when you get people on your team and uh, you, you decide to split up a piece of the pie, people get the deal closed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kyle and I brought in every penny that we could. <laughs> I think uh, those people are going to end up doing quite well um, and we, we appreciate their investment, but yeah, we reeled in as much money from family and friends as we could, which wasn't a whole lot. Um, and yeah, I think we, we did have some investments from like non family. Mm-hmm. I would still consider them friends, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we really appreciate those people um, putting their trust in us really in the deal. I think that was the thing that made everything easier as we bought. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think raising the capital is just that other thing that it's not over till it's over, you know, because you can have a, I don't know if I would give like a concrete rule here, but if you got to raise 2 million bucks, mm-hmm. I would expect, I would at least raise 3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, people back out, people get freaked out. People yep. pretend they have more money than they do. All sorts of weird stuff happens. Um, and it's just, it, it's not over till it's over because you yeah. You can have two numbers. You have the number that you need to literally close mm-hmm. or else things go bad. And then you have the number to make sure that you get your acquisition You're fee. Fully funded. Yeah. Yeah. Earnest money gets refunded. Uh, you have working capital. Like there's that number, which is the less scary one. Um, but just watching wires roll in, uh, that can be tough, especially when you've never, never done it before. I don't think there's a magic tip to make that not scary. It's just yeah. you got to really hit that capital raise hard and up front. Well, I mean, I know you've done a couple more capital raises since, but um, I learned to ask better questions to the investors. All right. Because, you know, a lot of people, they they may have money, but it's not accessible. You know, oh, I didn't know I had to have an SDRA to invest my retirement funds. I was just told I can invest my retirement funds. We've had a couple of those. You know, we've had a couple of people who are waiting on refinances who didn't get the refinance done in time. You know, so I, I think what I learned after my first deal is ask better questions when when you're talking with people, you know, and um, make sure that you know where their where their money is, and make sure you know that they can move it quickly enough to um, to get it to you in time. You know, so there's that 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 was my biggest thing. I, our first raise was exactly like yours. You know, it was about a two million dollar raise and you know, it probably took $3 million in commits to get to that $2 million mark, you know? So, um, but like I said, I, I, I just learned the ask better questions, you know, and, and make sure you understand a little better where they're at, where they're at financially and ask them the hard question. Are you going to be able to wire this, you know, by next Friday, you know, and see yeah. what, see what they say. Yeah. So, so yeah, capital raise always, always a challenge on the first deal. It's probably the uh, the thing that comes up most on this podcast is raising capital. Um, it's not fun on your first deal, um, but uh, my opinion. All right. So you guys closed 
about a year ago. I mean, by, by the time this podcast airs, it will have been a year, but uh, it was last April and we're, we're already in April right now. So uh, let's talk about, you know, the first steps after closing and then where you guys have come in a full year. Yeah. So I think going into it, one funny lesson we've learned is uh, you, you might hear this sometimes, but your underwriting means nothing the second you take over. Absolutely nothing. I know some people like to kind of track returns and see where they're where they're at relative to projections and stuff, but that number means nothing. Um, as soon as you take over, you own the property. Mm-hmm. No rents are going to get bumped. You have to bump them. No units are going to get renovated. You have to renovate them. Uh, no things are going to get done. You have to do them. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of a wake up call. It was a healthy one. I think one we were luckily excited and eager to get to work on. Um, but as soon as we took over it's almost funny when you're left standing there in the dust and you're like, Oh, we own it now. That that's kind of when it's not that no one's on your team, but that's when the whole closing transactional period is over. You go, well, darn, I own this thing. Now we got to yeah. do some stuff. And, now uh, what, you know, I mean, that, that's, exactly. yeah, I, I find too many people in that situation is, is the, we own this place now. Now what do we do? You know, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think you make a good point. You know, you're, you're underwriting, you're, you're, you're trying to match, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going to happen year one. You're trying to do your best you can to make your, your forecasted numbers as accurate as possible. But uh, I mean, until you're actually in there and operating the property, th- there's a lot of things you just don't know, you know, and I think that's, that's something that everybody finds out really quickly, you know, how much can we really raise rents, you know, and you, you don't really know that answer until you start getting people in, you know, and you start getting yeah. people to pay the rents and, Incidentally, while we were um, while we were talking, um, I got a text from one of the partners on one of our Augusta deals, and you know we we were assuming we could raise rents from six forty five to eight fifty, and we just got um, nine nine and a quarter. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah we, didn't, the, we didn't know that before, but that's what we can get. That's another really funny thing about uh, predicting the future and underwriting, which is unavoidable. I mean, you got to do your best. Uh, yeah. But yeah. for example, we were projecting 3% annual rent growth in Austin. Uh, <laughs> and if you've been keeping up with Austin, we're more in the 40s. Yeah, so. 3%, 40%. You know, and if people, if people, if you would have put 40% on your underwriting, <laughs> you wouldn't have got a single investor. They're like, dude, you're you're crazy. You're not going to get 40% here. Yeah. And and people might hear that and think, oh, so you're selling this deal for 400% return. The answer is no, because we also didn't project 40% increase on property taxes. Yeah. Uh, we projected, yeah, tax, you know, four yeah. or something. Unfortunately, so. inflation hits your expense mm-hmm. side as well. I mean, you guys got a big boost in for, from rent growth, but um, there's also that big boost on the inflation side that affected everything on your expenses. Right. So, yeah, I think that was kind of the lesson we learned is, uh, man, operations, it's tough. It, it's, a, it's a tough business. And uh, another thing that I haven't really touched on, but property management, we use third-party property management, mm-hmm. which is difficult to get on a, a small property. Yeah. Because- uh, for anyone who doesn't know, if you're under, depending on the market, mm-hmm. uh, if you're under about 100 units, uh, it's a little bit tough to get a full-time property manager because the property simply does not support enough income to hire a full person staff there. Um, so we won't get into this deal, but we actually strategically got the 44 unit next door mm-hmm. and was able to run those two as a, as a cohesive 86 unit. Yep. Um, but kind of learning to deal with a property manager was tough. And I think we, we actually had a call prior to 
purchasing the thing, like the day before closing, mm-hmm. we said, look, guys, we know that property management companies are disposable. We know that people fire them, you know, in a heartbeat. We don't want to do that. We said, we know this property is small. It's going to be tough for y'all to manage, but like, we want to commit to just being like clear and transparent mm-hmm. and working with y'all. And I think the heart behind that was really good, but I don't necessarily know that it's super practical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that was one challenge we learned is, um, unless your property management's in-house, your interests are simply not aligned. Mm-hmm. Interest not being aligned does not mean they're not awesome people who do awesome work. It just simply means that your interests aren't aligned. So yeah. I think we had some challenges uh, getting units renovated, getting them up on time online, mm-hmm. uh, getting you know certain CapEx items done, things dragging, uh, the website not being up, phone numbers taking two months to get up. Uh, I, I think we weren't expecting to have to be as hands-on and keep pressed on things as much mm-hmm. as we needed to. Uh, I, I think that's something that we could have, we, we kind of just assumed in the underwriting, we're just going to renovate three units per month and then everything yeah. is going to be great and rents are going to go up. And then you get in person and, you know, two months pass and you say, why isn't this unit renovated yet? Yeah. And then another month passes and it's like, why is, what are we waiting on the fridge? And then like those difficult things, you really have to be aggressive. You have to be hands-on with those things. When you we just uh, on on one of our properties. Uh, this is this is Augusta twenty six unit. It's actually not a Four Oaks property, but we, we had that conversation last week where you know we we're tracking the average days to get things renovated, and we've renovated four units right now, and it's averaging thirty six days. You know when it when it really should take. I mean, if you put a crew and assigned a crew to it, the the actual labor would would probably take two to three days to, to do everything. But they're they're taking. And that's, that's the conversation we're dealing with. And I think a lot of managers are, you know, a lot of asset managers are dealing with the same thing right now where, you know, the, the property managers are slow and they're, you're right. The interests are not completely aligned, you know, um, in, in order for them to do, you know, what you're asking them to do, they're going to have to jump through a bunch of hoops and they don't necessarily get compensated for all the hoops you're asking them to jump through, you know? So, um, yeah, one thing we're toying around with right now is giving them a bo- giving the management company a bonus for getting things done quicker, you know, and just like, hey, look, um, and and the way we're justifying it is, you know, lost rents on that property are two fifty a week, you know, so we can uh, if if they speed things up by two hundred and fifty, you know, by a week, that's that's two hundred and fifty bucks that uh, you know we have to, you know, to line their pockets with, but. Uh, Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna see how well that works. That's something we we talked about a couple of days ago. We're just gonna start implementing, but it'll be fun to yeah. see. But uh, anyway, no, sorry, sorry for 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 taking up some of your time on this one. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, we're we're about ready where we need to wrap up right now. You know, looking at the time, we've uh, um, we've been talking for a long time, and that I mean, good. But uh, it's time to wrap up. So yeah. last couple of questions for you, and the first one is, what's next for you? Yeah, so we um, we've been growing really fast, like face meltingly fast, um, which has been fun. It's been stressful. A lot of crazy stuff's been going on, but we're looking to grow as a firm um, because we're young. Like I said, we burned our boats. This is our thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to take it huge. We want this to be a forty-year plan, uh, not just like a, an escape plan. Yep. Um, you know, financial freedom in our sense is kind of like step one. It's not necessarily our our exit. Uh, so. Yeah, we're looking to grow. We're looking to be a firm. We're looking to get in touch with institutions. Um, we have a lot of fun conversations going on with family offices, um, equity groups, all that sort of stuff. Um, we're hiring. 
or if anyone uh, is interested in investor relations, um, capital raising, dealing with investors, that sort of fun stuff, reach out to me. We're hiring. Um, do, you, do you need them to be in Austin or anywhere in the world? Good question. Uh, it depends. I okay. think it depends on their, uh, their, their hustle, I guess, because it's definitely not a requirement to be Austin. It would be a huge plus, but um, All right. yeah. So Remote yeah, any, sure. any aspiring investors who want to uh, take a crack at investor management, um, give them a call. Yep. All right. So uh, yeah, that's fun. Um, we do have our first employee, David. He's crushing um, on the investment side. But yeah, we're looking to grow pretty quick. Um, and we, we want to become a firm. And we might even, on the note of property management, uh, we're talking to a lot of groups who have gone in-house management. And we're thinking about what that looks like. Uh, you know, starting starting a second company, that idea freaks me out, but also yeah. there could be some benefits. So, you know, a lot of people get to the point to where it makes more sense. You know, it, 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 especially, I mean, if you have a lot of the 40 type size units, you know, it may make a lot more sense for you guys just to have one dedicated property manager or, you know, a team that can, that can run those units. But even when you get into the hundred plus, it's that there comes a time where it's more, it's economical. And it's also, you have more control. So I think a lot of people do go that direction. So, yeah. Um, so it's my long-winded way of saying that we want to become a big investment firm. You're growing, you're <laughs> yeah. growing. You, you, you want to be the billion dollar, you know, assets under management number. Yeah. Awesome. Me too. All yeah. right. So what advice would you give somebody who's, you know, just starting out right now? Yeah, I would say uh, kind of like twofold. Someone who's just starting out, I would say what I did is hop on LinkedIn, uh, go to meetups like Brian's, meet people. Uh, It's a really supportive community. Um, And I think that's a really good undergird to kind of like starting your journey. Um, And then the second half of that, I would say maybe action is a bit of a buzzword. Maybe that's a little bit of a cliche at this point. Uh, But I truthfully think maybe another way to phrase that is like this stuff is not as scary as it seems. Um, I would be. I would be cautious of gurus and, you know, courses and, and things that put up a wall between you and what you want. Mm-hmm. I would say that the, the dark, scary chasm abyss that seems like it's in between you and, you know, the investing goals that you might have is not nearly as big as it seems. Yeah. Um, as I just talked about, if you were to talk to me on, you know, two months before we closed and then two months after we closed on that first deal, I'm not even the same person. I think at some point you just got to jump in and realize that you're going to be fine. And I would say that um, having the undergird of like the supportive community and making good connections and like having those people that you can lean on um, as your foundation and then just realizing that like, you know, there is no shortcut. There is no secret. There is nothing you don't know. You're probably more competent than you need, than you need to be to be successful Mm -hmm. if you're even asking the question. So I would say that it's just, you got to jump in. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember, you know, when I was, you know, trying to, to get into the business, I got to the point to where I realized that I wasn't going to learn anything more from a book or from the gurus or from the courses or everybody else. Um, and I realized that I came to the point where if, if I wanted to progress, I needed to learn from doing. And that's uh, um, very, very similar to what you said. You know, I, I had to, I had to start taking the next step with action instead of just the, the reading part. And that's, that's one one of the tips that uh, the I'll offer as far as you know what, what I would tell the aspiring investor. 
Now, last question, how can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, so as we kind of alluded to earlier, I've kind of gone rogue, so mm-hmm. not very many places, but you can check us out at zioncapgroup.com, okay. uh, group.com. Uh, and then if you're interested in an investor relations role, please email me, just van at zioncapgroup.com. Uh, no formal process, we'll set up an interview or something, and yeah. All right. Sounds good. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. And Van, once again, thanks so much for, for coming back on the, the podcast. Um, it was fun to fun to talk. And uh, you know, I think we'll have to bring you back on as the experienced investor. You, you may be the youngest experienced investor this <laughs> podcast has ever had, but uh, I think you're, you're there. So I uh, very it. much appreciate your time. And uh, um, yeah, let's do that again soon. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Sweet, sweet. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.